Hi, and welcome to Weep Speak. As it just so happens, we are actually doing another episode. How about that? I think it's pretty cool. Yeah, I think so too. Um, so, uh, again, this is John Database Lanius and my friend here, Lucas Reeve Jordan. And uh, we're going to talk about some anime today. Um, so we're, we're going to be talking about a couple of different things. Um, some of the stuff we're a little bit late to the show on, but uh, it's interesting stuff to talk about nonetheless. Um, so my friend Ryu here has some things he would like to start out, start out with, so I'm going to give it over to you. Yeah, um, so a couple of new anime that I wa started watching this week, and my wife and I just completely watched the whole thing. Um First, I started watching My Hero Academia, which I've actually stopped because I'm going to watch the rest of it with my wife. Uh, I've really enjoyed the first few episodes. It's probably the hypest action anime I've ever seen. Um, and even just those first few episodes where he's training and really young were just really exciting and kind of really compelling. I really enjoyed it. Um, you've seen Hero Aka, right? Yeah, um, so I'm caught all the way up. I've seen the entire series up to the most recent um, season. Um, I love it. I've been trying to get you to watch it for a long time, just putting that out there. Yeah, it's been something that I've kind of put off and just haven't been super interested in just based on some of the things I've seen. But yeah, the first few episodes sold me. The first few episodes really sold me. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a really good show. I mean, trust me, it, it only gets better. Um, I think it actually has kind of a slow, kind of a slow start, uh, but uh, yeah, it really picks up. It, it gets really, really good. I don't want to spoil too much. Um, if what I watched was a slow start, then it must be get really intense because there's some really cool moments in there. Especially the actually one scene that really impressed me was the training montage, which was kind of typical. But I just felt the way they presented it and the music in the background was really really exciting and had some kind of some kind of rap song going on in the background and it was it was really cool yeah it's uh it's a great show and things do pick up trust me um some of the best fight scenes of this entire year were in the most recent season of the of the show and that's really exciting and it does look like it's got some really high quality action scenes in there Oh, it, it, it definitely does. And it's really sort of interesting, too, what it what it has to say about sort of heroism, um, just in a general sense. You know, I mean, the, the world of Hiroaka is a world of sort of commercialized, capitalized heroism, you know? It's a job. You know, it's not like traditional American comic books where it's like, these are people who are going out and doing heroics because they want to, generally, anyway. Not because they're being paid to or because it's their, their 9 to 5. Yeah, um, I really like that angle. It's kind of it's kind of interesting. Um, and particularly, you know, it, it's cool to see how that interacts with the uh, All Might character. Um, and how he can, only, he can only be a superhero for a few hours in a day. And he's got to kind of really prioritize his time during that. I thought that was a cool angle. Yeah, it it is, and and that's one of the things that makes All Might special because he's basically, at least up to the, this point in the anime, he's basically the only hero who is more like a traditional American comic book hero, where it's like, okay, yeah, in this world he probably gets paid to a certain degree for his heroics, but that's not why he's doing it. Like, 
he he's not I mean, at least as far as we can tell, anyway, not dependent upon the revenue he gets from his heroism, and that's ultimately secondary to his goals. And I like how they kind of played it up as in, he seems, you know, you look at his superhero form, and you I kind of assumed he'd be this, like, cocky, um, arrogant character who just, you know, is doing it for the glory and that sort of stuff. And then you see his alternate form his real form where he's kind of like he looks depressed and stuff and i thought that man is he really just a crank in real life but he's actually got a really wholesome character and i was really happy to see that i yeah. really enjoy yeah. his character yeah it's um it's definitely an interesting comparison that you've got this guy who um who's was was you know borderline mortally wounded in in a in combat and as a result his powers are significantly weakened and and being in that sort of all might state for more than i think it's it's basically about an hour at the beginning of the series um is actually uh, three hours phys- yeah three hours is actually physically damaging like it hurts a lot right right yeah i really like him um i'm glad that he's going to be a part of the series more as going forward um and by the way for those who are listening um there's no this is no spoilers this all happens in the first like two or three episodes and you basically learn about all my secret in the first episode so we're not spoiling anything right now at least nothing major anyway like right like the the, the stuff that happens in the first episode isn't really spoilery because it's what it, it's what has to happen if you know anything about the show it's what has to happen for the show to happen correct correct so we're going to be watching more of that. Um, I'm excited. It looks really good. Uh, I hope. I know it's right now. I hope it goes forward into three and four, et cetera, et cetera. Well, it's already into three. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. It's already into three seasons. Um, and uh, I, I don't expect th- uh, it to sh- slow anytime soon because the manga is still one of the most popular manga in Shonen Jump. And we all know that the most popular manga in Shonen Jump gets a continuing anime for as long as the manga is popular that's just the way it works is it one of the it's one of the big three it's it's one of the new big three okay cool all right that's exciting yeah so the uh, other new series that my wife and i watched we watched the whole thing so only 12 episodes is school live yeah now i remember seeing uh this when it was first coming out um i didn't watch any of it because i read the description and i looked at the artwork and i looked at a trailer um and it looked it just kind of looked slice of life-ish and i usually don't watch this so before we get into this we're probably going to spoil the whole series so if you haven't watched this series i at least heavily recommend it yeah it's It's uh, really uh, good it's a great show and there's really no way to talk about school live for more than 30 seconds without spoiling without without major spoilers um it's best to go in blind it really is it's best it, to go in blind you, you want to go um, into this show as blind as you possibly can and you got to get through the first episode that's the key get through the first episode without you know there's it, it looks really generic in the beginning but get through it and you'll see what's up yeah, yeah. So it's, with that uh, being said, spoilers are starting. Yeah, hardcore spoilers in five seconds, whatever. 
you know. <laughs> yeah, starting now. Yeah, starting. Okay, starting so this was a great series. Um, it's, it's so the, good. At the end of it, I mean, I was always, through the first episode, I was, the whole time I was on edge. Because although we went in mostly blind, we knew the one, the one thing I knew about it was you in, had compared it to Doki Doki Literature Club. Yes, yes, I had. Um, so we were, we were on edge, we were like, appropriate, oh, very, having seen it now, very appropriate, it was excellent, um. And that's the whole reason we watched it. If if you hadn't if you hadn't phrased it like that, we wouldn't have watched it. Um, so through the whole first episode, we were constantly asking ourselves, "When is this going to go wrong? When is this going to go wrong? You know, what's going to happen?" Um, and when we got to the end, it was actually a pretty significant surprise, despite the fact that we knew it was going to go wrong. We didn't know how it was going to go wrong, and I thought it was pretty. It was a pretty unique angle to the series. So for those who don't know and are still around and for some reason want it spoiled, School Live is a zombie apocalypse anime. Right, but they spend the entire first episode with it appearing like it's a normal um, school, school daily, you know, uh, slice of life drama. But there's like, if you're paying attention, especially after the twist, you can see that they're hinting at the things aren't what they appear to be the entire episode. Like, because the main characters are a part of a club that lives at the school. Right. Which is in and, and it itself was, a bit odd. It was, it was really interesting because it, the, while the first episode does a really good job of subtly hinting towards these things, it's not incredibly obvious. So you, there's something just off about the whole first episode. There's just little things that are like, Wait, did I really just see that? Um, what's what's that? Why are they doing it this way? What? Why do they have a school living club? Is what they call it. Um, what's the point? Right, and, then the and they twist, do a lot of things. Right. Yeah, and then the whole twist at the end, at the end of the episode, is that everything you just saw was the hallucination of the main character that has gone insane because she can't handle the fact that the world has ended and most of her friends, and with the exception of, of, of the main cast, everyone in the school has turned into zombies. Right, and the f- main character's name is Yuki. So she is unable, or she rather she heavily resists seeing the realities of the world. So to her, the school's re- normal. Everything, you know, there are students there. Um, there's club activities going on. Just have one rule, and that rule is that the four of them can't leave the school. And it was, again, there was just something off about the whole first episode. There were weird little things that don't make a whole lot of sense, but they treat it as normal. And I remember one particular scene where another one of the characters uh, what was her name um, Miki I think it is Miki walks into the classroom while Yuki is in class and starts talking to Yuki while everyone else in the classroom just turns and starts staring at them and I thought it was really strange because she was just talking 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 to Yuki Yuki was trying to get her to to be quiet because their class is going on and it was almost like it took Miki a second to realize what, why 
or that she was interrupting the class. And I thought at that moment, like, why is she... She Prior to this, her character hadn't suggested that she would be like that. Um, and what we find out is because Miki's not fully used to playing along with Yuki. Right. And Miki's that's the, the key. The group. Right. So why do they play along with her? So I... Th- that's probably one of the biggest questions you ever get. Um, and the way I've decided it's a couple of different things. So one, they're probably afraid that if they force her to confront the reality that she's just going to completely break. Um, that that they're just not going to be anything emotionally left of Yuki. Um, and right. The, hmm? Right. And this is actually um pretty heavily evidenced by the few times that she starts to see what's you can there's a few times where she in the series where she kind of starts to see the reality and anytime she comes in contact with a zombie she basically has a mental breakdown right then and there and is unable to to function and which would essentially get her and the rest of them infected or killed Um, and so an- another reason why I think they're doing it is because they themselves need a bit of escape. I mean, they're trapped in the school. They're surrounded by zombies. They're constantly in fear of running out of food, of running out of water, of, 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 of uh, getting in a, a push from the zombies that they can't um, uh, defend against. And having Yuki, as crazy as she is, around to sort of allow them Lighten to the pretend mood. things aren't as fucked up as they are for just a little bit, um, you know, that it can for them be the difference between surviving or, or having a mental breakdown of their own. Um, right, you know, and that is, that is emphasized with the... Uh, well, she's the president. Her name is Yuri, and she's the one who's supposed to. She she manages everything. She takes care of everything. She uh, she has all this mental load on her, and yet she is extremely mentally. She very, seems very mentally fragile throughout it, and it's like her mind kind of descends into desperation as the series goes on. Yeah, and. Um... Some some spoilers for the manga. If you haven't read the manga, um, at at the begin at the end of the the anime series, they 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 graduate. They leave the school, and um, there's a. I'm trying to remember. Uh, let's see. That's that's where the the anime actually ends. It ends with them leaving the school. Right. It's been a long time since I've actually seen it. They they yes they leave, um, and they are heading in the direction of either a college or a uh, corporation and that's kind of supposed to be analogous to them graduating and either joining going to college or joining the workforce right um so what ends up happening is both both in between them because they ended up going to a or at least for a period going to a college um what ends up happening is yuri demands that they go by the elementary school that her younger sister goes to or went to because um, Yuri is hoping that her little sister might still be alive. And in the manga, she finds her little sister um, clutching a, a teddy, a, a stuffed teddy bear, but it's heavily implied um, that 
that the sister isn't there, that Yuri has is now gone insane and is projecting her sister onto this stuffed teddy bear that she starts carrying everywhere. Um, uh, and uh, so, so it's it, so they they hint towards Yuri sort of falling apart. It's and it's interesting because uh, it doesn't seem like Yuki like ever one hundred percent recovers. But in the manga, once they leave the school, like she's aware of what's going on by that point. Like she's gotten to the point where she can yep. more or less deal with the reality around them. And then it's and then it's Yuri the one is the one who goes into into crazy person mode yeah at the end of the anime um and it doesn't look like the anime will ever be continued um but at the end of the anime yuki hasn't recovered you're right but she is fully aware um and she's still the one who kind of pulls them together through her through her um light-hearted attitude um but we can definitely see that yuri is really starting to go and that's something that could be really interesting if i ever read the manga yeah, so so after that they they do end up going to college. <clears throat> um and uh well actually before they go to a college there's actually a really really sad scene where they pick up a radio station. I think they might even show it at the end of the manga where they pick up a radio station of someone who's alive and broadcasting and trying to get someone to come and save her basically. Um and in the manga they actually are able to to find the broadcaster but by the time they get there, um, she she had been bitten and infected and was slowly turning into a zombie. I think she actually kills herself um, before they before they get to her. Um, so that's sort of a, a really depre- <laughs> really depressing. Th- this show really loves to uh, uh, it messes with you. Yeah, yeah. To, uh, that's that's really the and that's why I you know ref, you know describe it describe like, it like um, uh, um, Doki Doki Literature Club. Because it's literally, it, it, it even kind of follows the same um, opening, you know, paradigm where it's like, it's normal, you know, Tokyo Doki literally, it's a normal dating sim, it's a normal day sim, it's a normal day sim. Oh, Sayori's killed herself. Right. It goes, it goes downhill and it goes downhill fast. Now, Doki Doki Literature Club, most of your time playing that game is going to be a normal a normal dating sim and then it goes downhill and it spirals really fast school live slowly unveils what's really going on very very slowly and it reveals more about the character's past and what has happened even in the near past since the since the zombie apocalypse um and there is a particular reveal probably about halfway through the series which Lit- completely it's stunned. Kind me. of soul crushing. It is kind of soul crushing. So, one other character that they have with them is their teacher. Her name is Megumi, um, and for the first half or so of the series, Megumi is part of their group. She's. It makes it seem like she survived with them. Now, if you look at the opening, the opening credits, and you kind of pick up on things, there's a lot of death flags for her. Like, we, we were, I was convinced that she was going to die. Um, and there's a, there's a lot of little scenes, a lot of little subtle things um, that hint towards what actually happens. So I was surprised because Megumi was never actually there. She had, she had been bitten and infected in a previous time, 
and Yuki was essentially imagining her. And if, if you think back to what has happened, you, there's a lot of really subtle hints that suggest this, but they're so subtle that they're probably intended to be taken as death flags, as things right. to suggest that she's right. going to die. Because if you really pay attention, um, Yuki is the only member of the club that ever really talks to the teacher. Indeed. Indeed. Um, <clears throat> Uh, and like, and it's also like in, in the backstory, like it's it's Megumi's death that is what ultimately sends Yuki over the edge, um, right? Because it 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 happens in a really fucked up way, where where basically, um, I'm trying to remember. I think uh, Megumi, I, I don't remember She's the circumstances of how she got bit, but she gets bit. They got bit. they got cocky. And they were pushing out more and trying to take more, more of the school, and they got they went a little too far. And Yuki, they basically got trapped between a locked door and a bunch of zombies. And Yuki opened the door, quickly pushed them through, and then blocked the zombies from getting through. Um, and in the in the in that time, got got bit. Right. Um, she sacrificed so... herself, and it wasn't. And Megumi was to be clear. Megumi wasn't the one that wanted to go down there. They wanted to go down, and they essentially kind of, they essentially kind of got her infected because of their arrogance, because they thought they could do more than they could. Right, and like the worst part about that for Yuki is, um, we we get some some more information about the actual like zombie plague, the zombification process where it's sort of a slow. It's not super slow, but it's it's slow enough that. It, there's like a transition period where the zombie instincts are taking over, but the person is still kind of conscious. Right. And so you've got this scene where Megumi is infected, is is functionally a zombie, but can still talk and is begging Yuki to open the door because she's so hungry and she just wants something to eat. Right. It's interesting. Um, and that scene, I don't remember that from the anime. That sounds like it was a manga thing. Oh, that might have been um, the manga then, but yeah, that but, happens. But that that sounds like that sounds consistent with what we kind of learned about in the manga, where it's clear that while Megumi is shambling around in the basement of the of the school, she's also writing in a diary, and she's trying to get things. She's basically trying to find. There's a cure down there because the school knew this was going to happen, and we don't. I don't full. At least the anime doesn't fully under, ex explain why they knew it was going to happen. It's some uh, biological warfare of some form. Um, but she was getting that. She was finding that medicine and writing a letter to them while she was a zombie. But as we find out in the end, if she sees one of them or even the dog, because there's a dog. Um, she reverts to just her zombie instincts and goes after them. Oh, the dog. Yeah, yeah. That dog was uh, obviously a very important a very important character, but a lot of the times it created more problems than it solved. I think yeah, that was the point, yeah. too. But, so, for those who don't know, there is a dog, a Shiba, a Shiba Inu um, puppy. Um, that the the club takes care of um, uh, uh, Toromaru, I think is its name. Yep. Yep. And uh, near the end of the show, as the 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 girls are sort of starting to figure out that they've got to get out of the school, they can't stay there anymore. Um, 
and at the same time, um, Shovel Girl, I forget her name. Uh, Karumi, I'm looking at Karumi. it on Wikipedia. She gets bit, and they're trying to save her. And it, and they discover that there's a antidote uh, to the virus in the basement. Um, and uh, just before that happens, uh, Taromaru sort of sneaks off, goes down to the basement, and gets bit by Megumi and turns into a zombie himself. Right. And that... Um... And that leads to something that really starts to spiral Yuri down as she becomes more mentally fragile. Um, Karumi has said that if she gets bitten, that Yuri needs to not hesitate and needs to kill her. Um, and Yuri actually nearly does it. She nearly stabs uh, Karumi with a knife in order to stop her from becoming a zombie. Um, and that was kind of a really that was a really tense moment in the anime for me. There was a the last couple of episodes are very tense. Because for a long time, I was totally convinced that they were all going to die. I thought that this was going to end your typical zombie apocalypse way while they're, where they're all dead. And there was a lot to suggest that's where it was leading. That's where it was leading. Obviously, it doesn't go that way. Um, but I thought it was, it was genius how, how the anime set that up. Yeah. And that kind of... This kind of horror, where, I mean, obviously it's zombie apocalypse. We've seen zombie apocalypse horror before. But this kind of horror, where it's, there's psychological horror, where not all is as it seems, and there's just little little things that hint towards the reality and slowly unraveling the, right, and the it's not all drawn of, in moe moe mo blob. Right, know, super, super moe, crazy cute type stuff. Um, this is something very uniquely Japanese. I don't see it in American horror or even horror, uh, other other cultures' horror as much as I see it from Japan. And it's also the type of horror that really gets to me and interests me the most. Just that psychological horror, that that subverted expectations, the the, the not as all as it seems type thing. I it seems uniquely Japanese. Oh, it, it very much is. Um, and uh, I haven't been keeping up with the manga. It's been a long time since I've actually read it. And it doesn't get translated super regularly. <clears throat> uh, but uh, it wouldn't surprise me that this is ultimately going to tie into... I think it's like Unit 704 or something. It was a secret Japanese um, biological warfare unit um, during World War II. Uh, Unit 731, sorry, Unit 731, um, that is sort of uh, known for having performed a lot of really horrific experiments on um, Chinese and American POWs with all kinds of really fucked up chemical weapons. And a lot of the times when you when you have Japanese horror that involves some kind of plague or chemical or biological warfare, for whatever reason, they always seem to, seem to go back to Unit 731. Interesting. So you're saying it's a, it's related to a, um, a real, a real event, or a supposed real event? Um, well, it it might be related to a real, um, unit of the Imperial Japanese Army during World War II that ran a lot of, ah, okay. of um, chemical and biological weapons experiments on people, like on actual people. Gotcha. Okay. Hmm. That's pretty interesting. 
But anyways, this series was really good. Really, really good. Um, I love these types of series that make it seem... And they really... I remember the promotional material was all very happy. There were little hints of possible horror stuff. Um, but they really went all in on kind of keeping it a secret what it was until the end of the first episode. And even then, really revealing things and unraveling it in a, in a really effective way. I thought it was good. Yeah, it's it's a great show. Um, for any of those who've been listening to us for the last you know 15 minutes and haven't seen it, sorry, but go watch it now. Yeah, go watch it. There was stuff, there's a lot that we didn't talk about. Um, you have had the major things spoiled to you, we warned you, but there's still a lot to enjoy about it. Yeah, it's uh, it's a hell of a show. And if you if you like horror and you like distinctly Japanese horror, this is this is very distinctly Japanese horror. Oh yeah, and it's and it's fun, it's fun, it's tense, it's genuinely terrifying at times. And it's honestly the zombies aren't really that scary. Zombies rarely are. It's it's what's going through the the girls' heads and how their minds are working. That's what's scary. Yeah, whenever you're dealing with a zombie apocalypse thing, like, the zombies are really only the scary right at the very beginning. Ultimately, it's the people. And that's sort of the whole thing about zombie apocalypse narratives is like, yeah, the zombies may be the monsters, but it's the people you've really got to be worried about. <laughs> yep. Um, although I will say, Megumi, in her zombie form, was pretty terrifying. Fucking horrific. Yep. Okay, so... uh before I get into something that I want to talk about for a little bit, um, did you play any interesting games this week? Um, uh, other than more Fallout Four, I haven't been play- I uh, haven't played a whole lot this week. Um, I did um, hang out at a, a friend's house last night and uh, played some Mario Kart Eight um, on the Switch. And uh, you know, this good. was one of those moments where, like, the portability of the Switch was so was so was so impressive. Because they had a switch and I had a switch, so we were playing three player with um, my friend and uh, or coworker and her husband, who's also a friend of mine, on their switch on their TV, while I was holding my switch in the mobile mode with my own screen. Um, oh, that's cool! Yeah, and yeah, so it's a moment like that where it's like the portability of the switch suddenly becomes a very, very helpful asset because let's be honest, when you're playing split screen, when you've split, split it more than once, those screens start getting really small. Yeah. And, and it's just not that enjoyable. Yeah. The um, switch, man, I'm sure we'll have a, com- a deeper conversation about it sometime. Uh, well, we'll once Valkyrie Chronicles four comes out, you'd better believe it. Um, okay. So, um, uh, I played, uh, before we go oh, into go that, ahead. just one more thing I do want to say is uh, I uh, ran um, another session of D&D um, with those two oh, friends cool. last night. Um, uh, speak, uh, speaking of Japanese role-playing games uh, with Valkyria Chronicles, um, I've actually been running a um, semi-homebrew D&D campaign that's actually based on the story of Tales of, Val- uh, Tale of, uh, Tales of Vesperia. Oh, really? Yes. That's interesting. I haven't played that game in years. Ah, such a great game. That was a good one. Yep. The game that sold me on Japanese RPGs. Uh, I think Tales of... Well, Skies of Arcadia probably sold me, but Tales of Symphonia was also really good. All the Tales games are pretty good. 
yeah, there's not really a bad one in the bunch. Some are better than others. Some don't quite reach the level of quality you would expect, but I don't think there's really a bad Tales game. Yeah. Some of the older ones might be... They might not age well. I don't think the the oldest ones really age well anymore. Yeah, yeah. Not a lot of those 2D pixelated one, game, um, RPGs age super well. Obviously got like Final Fantasy VI that are, ages really well and Chrono Trigger, but not a lot of them. Yeah. So I... Uh, one thing, I picked up uh, Final Fantasy fourteen again. Man, I just keep coming back to this game. It's just so fun, even just to play solo. I think simply because you can be whatever class you want, whenever you want on your character is just fun. It's got a really good story. Um, it is an MMO, uh, but I tend to play it alone. Uh, I also tried a game that I have in my Steam library called Pillars of Eternity, which is a really old-style CRPG. Kind of hard to get into, to be honest. I can see there's a huge amount of depth and choice in it. Um, the combat system is really boring to me. Um, and there's just a, there's a lot of reading. It's really good reading, but it's mostly reading. It's <laughs> kind of a weird game. But that's how those old CRPGs are. Um, so anyways, I finished Xenoblade Chronicles 2 on the Switch last week. And just in case you or anyone listening to this wants to play it in the future, I'm going to go through a non-spoiler breakdown of the game because it's a weird game. And going into it, if you go into it with the right attitude and with the right mindset, this game is really fun. It's really, really fun and hilarious. If you go into it with the other mindset, though, it's going to suck. So aside from trailers that came out with like Nintendo Directs, the first time this game really got on my radar was when a uh, one of my favorite YouTubers, his name is Joseph Anderson, posted on Twitter about it. He's been playing it on his Twitch stream, or he played it on his Twitch stream. Um, and he basically said that this game is a parody. This entire game is a parody of JRPG tropes. And at first I was like, really? A like 60 plus hour game? The entire thing being a parody? Um, I kind of doubted it. But the humor was really funny that he showed in the clip. Um, so I decided that I would, I would try it out eventually. And I did. And to be perfectly honest, while I do think that sometimes it takes itself a little bit seriously, I actually agree. I actually think Xenoblade Chronicles 2 and almost everything about it is a parody of JRPGs and anime in general. So I don't want to spoil anything about the story. Um, and I have to kind of tiptoe around certain topics to make that work. But I can say... Some of the things that happen are clear references and commentary on those different types of anime tropes. Like, for, for example, there's a moment in the game where a character comes out with this secret power. And instead of just kind of saving the day out of nowhere, the character actually con comments on it and says, you know, if I would used this power before, I could have saved some people who are dead now. Uh, but I'm going to use it now. Um <laughs> And I thought, I was that moment, I was like, that's, okay, good, that's pretty funny, that's pretty funny. Because it's true, it's, that happens a lot in anime, and it happens a lot in, in JRPGs, and it's always a pretty blaring plot hole. Basically what Xenoblade Chronicles 2 does, is it has those plot holes, 
it highlights those plot holes, and then it makes fun of those plot holes. It does it a lot throughout the whole, throughout the whole game. Um, and again, if you're taking it serious, if you're trying to take it seriously, you are going to hate this game because it does that stuff a lot. And the characters are tropey, and yet, with the fact that they're making fun of themselves, they're actually pretty compelling. And in fact, the most compelling character in the game is a trope herself. She's she's just a complete joke throughout the whole game. She's She is literally a joke. And she's the most compelling character in the game. And anybody who's listening who knows who this character is, they've probably already figured it out right, who I'm talking about. It's a weird game. Yeah, I've been I've been meaning to check it out. I haven't gotten around to it yet, but I do plan to eventually. Yeah. However, there's some things that you should know about before getting into this game because there's parts of this game which may may be related to this kind of ongoing parody thing. Like for example, there is an entirely pointless Facebook style mission mini game. Hmm. that goes on throughout the throughout the basically the second well no it goes on after the last the first third of the game maybe first fourth where it's just it's totally pointless it has no the only value the only value it has is it unlocks a couple of kind of minor side quests and it just gives you random experience and stuff it's really really pointless and it's clear that the developers threw it in there to kind of just have it in there and okay, that could be seen as part of the parody, but it really it's it's it wastes a lot of time. It wastes a lot of time. Hmm. Um, there is a one of the characters, actually the same character that I talked about before. Um, she has a totally different progression form than any of the other characters. And in fact, her progression form is you have to go to a certain place in the game and play an arcade-style minigame in order to make her more powerful. And you have to do it over and over and over. And it is not a particularly fun minigame. It's just grinding. Um, The combat takes a really long time to get interesting. By the end of the game, the combat is very interesting, engaging, and really rewards planning and skill. But it is not that way for about the first half of the game. In the beginning of the game, the combat's really boring. You're basically auto-attacking and pressing a button prompt once every, like, 30 seconds. And that is not an exaggeration. It is that slow. By the time you get halfway through the game, it's more fleshed out. um, But it's hard. This game is really unforgiving with the combat, specifically because of the open world. Um, They have an MMO-style open world all of the Xenoblade Chronicles games have. Um, and it's really cool. It's huge. This world is probably probably comparable to the size of World of Warcraft. I'm not actually... I mean, like, and all of its expansions. It is a massive world. But there's no kind of, like, barrier between higher and level... higher level and lower level creatures. And if you go near a creature that is, you know... 10, 15 plus levels higher than you, or even like 70 levels higher than you, you will just die. You will just, they, they don't have to run up to you. You can't run away. You just die hmm. because of the combat being the way it is. It's very frustrating, um, and, it, and it can really 
it can really extend the gameplay time because you got to figure out how to get around these creatures. And there's n the mini map's not useful. The uh, the compass system is is straightforward, but it's not enough. You I'd say you would need more information than it gives you. Um, it's it's a really frustrating experience trying to get around in the world early on. Now this changes at the end of the game. Near the end of the game, you unlock a certain aspect of combat that basically turns on easy mode. The rest of the game is is a joke once this is unlocked. Um, and combat tends to last a long time in Xenoblade Chronicles 2. Um, early fights take a minute to a minute and a half if there's one enemy, and that's not boss fights. That's not boss fights. Fights with multiple trash mobs can take can take five minutes. It's absolutely ridiculous. Um, boss fights can take upwards of twenty. It's 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 long. It's slow moving, and a lot of the combat isn't that fun for the first half of the game. But then you unlock a feature near the end of the game, which takes those five minute fights and basically turns them into fifteen second fights. Um, it's pretty ridiculous how how much of a difference that one little feature can change. Um, so the combat, I would say, is is probably the game's weakest uh, aspect, simply because it's it's not well designed. It doesn't get fun until thirty plus hours in, um, and it doesn't get efficient until the end. You're not doing a very good job selling this game. I'm telling you, this game is weird. It is, I, I, strictly as gameplay, it's not a fun game. But it is funny. It's really funny. The characters, when not taken seriously, are really compelling. Um, and you actually do root for them, despite the fact that they're parodies. All of them. The voice acting, at least the localization, the English voice acting, is awful. And yet it grows on you. Hmm. And I forgot to mention that... I would estimate maybe 40% of this game is cutscenes. There was multiple times when I sat down and I was like, okay, I'm just going to do a little bit. And I got into a string of 50-minute cutscenes. Sounds like an old-school Metal Gear Solid game. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Now, here, this, so we've gone all of these ridiculous things about this game. There's a couple of things this game does that is very against what you would normally see in a JRPG and basically says we don't want you to we're already inundating you with all this crap. We don't want you to have to deal with the rest of it. So these 50 minute cutscenes, they are 50 minutes, but there are multiple points where it'll take you out of the cutscene, it'll let you run for like five steps, and then it'll bring you back into the cutscene. At first I thought, why are these even in here? It's totally pointless. But I realized that they're there for you to save. They're there for you to save and come back to the cutscene if you need to, because if you, you know, you're if you skip a cutscene, you can go back and look at it in the uh, in the main menu. Uh, but you, you know, you're skipping all that's going on. You don't know how long these cutscenes can go on. They give you opportunities to save in the middle of these cutscenes, which I thought is a kind of nice touch. It doesn't tell you that, so you have to figure it out. Um, but I thought it, it was a nice touch. 
And then the other thing that it does that is really against like the concept of JRPGs and how their combat systems work, this game does not require you to grind. To make this one character more powerful, you have to grind this uh, the the arcade game, as I said. But it doesn't. Re- this game does not require you to have to go and go over and encounter and encounter and encounter and grind up XP. In fact, if you do that, you will level incredibly slowly. And in fact, you it, it the game would probably turn into an 150-hour game simply simply because you have to level so slowly. And you can never you can never get to the level that you need to be. So instead, it has a inn system where you can teleport and go into an inn, and you'll have experience saved up. And I'm not sure how the game allocates this experience. Maybe it's like how, based on how long you've played, like gameplay hours. So maybe it's where you have to reach certain milestones, and it gives you this XP that you get at the inn. And then you can rapidly level up in the inn. And it always keeps you about what level you're supposed to be. Um, I think it, I do think it keeps you a little over-leveled because the later part of the game was stupidly easy. And in fact, the final boss was stupidly easy. Um, but it, it's good that it's there. It's good that it's there. It, it really cuts down on the, the ridiculous amount of time that this game takes. And it took me about 60 hours to beat the game. Keep in mind, I didn't do many of the side quests. I didn't do many of the side stuff. That was mostly just the main story, was that 60 hours. So yeah, it's a weird game. I do not think it's for everyone. If you have fun with it, you'll enjoy it. If you try to take it seriously, or if you're not thinking it's funny you're probably going to hate it. And it's probably a waste of money at that point. Well, alrighty then. That's that's quite the rant on uh, Xenoblade Chronicles. Yeah, it's a weird game. Uh, so uh, let's go ahead and move on to our, uh, our next and, I guess, um, last topic of the day. Darling in the Franks. Yeah. Um, so since our last podcast, there's been two episodes. Um, so we're now on episode three. And uh, this is definitely the anime of the season I am most interested in, which isn't surprising considering Trigger's involved, and whenever Trigger is involved, I'm interested. Um, but there's some there's some things that I, I kind of want to unpack about this. Uh, so there are not many anime that will get me to go back and watch an episode multiple times to parse language and translation and try to reread scenes and, and darling in the Franks is one of the few that's done it um i think maybe only the only other shows that have ever gotten me to do that would have been uh, another trigger show kill a kill um uh neon genesis evangelion and probably big o which has an infamously convoluted plot which arguably never actually got finished but anyway um so uh, so i just i find it interesting the different language they're using to refer to the the parasites. So the parasites are what the kids are called just in general, right? Yeah. Um, um, but... Well, no. It's what they... No, it's what they're becoming. It's like a title. Right. And so the there's basically eight main characters. 
well, there's two main characters and then six side characters. Those six side characters are parasites. Like they've they've gone through the process, they've gone through the training, they've been partnered. They are parasites. Um, and ultimately, what the primary character struggle for our main character seems to be is he's trying to become a parasite. And yeah. parasites are grouped into teams, two-person teams, a girl and a boy. And within those teams, they are referred to as the the, the, the boy is the stamen, and the girl is the pistol. And I went back, and I remembered from uh, eighth grade biology class, I'm like, wait, wait a second, those are the reproductive organs of flowers. <laughs> so I went back, and I, I rewatched the, the episode, and I, I double-checked, and I, I did some Googling, and, and sure enough, the stamen is the male reproductive part of a flower, and the pistol is the female reproductive part of a flower. Uh, so that I, 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 I found interesting. Um, and also, especially in the first episode, you see references to negative and positive connection. Um, and, and the way I've read it is the, the male half of the, of the equation is the negative like charge and the female is the positive charge. Um, and if you you sort of go through how the the piloting actually works, that kind of makes sense, at least in my mind. Because if you think of it like electricity, well, electricity moves from a negative to a positive charge, right? Right, and they're kind of, and they do kind of do that. It's kind of like they're channeling. the The male is kind of channeling through the female in the in the mechs. Right. So essentially. Um, it, it, it hasn't really been explained. It may never be explained, but it, the way I'm reading it is essentially the pistol, the female sort of becomes like the central control system of the Franks. Like she's the one that's directly connected to the system. Um, and I sort of feel like that's born through like when you see in the show, like when they're in the Franks and they're running them, whenever the girl is talking, the mech is actually talking. Like, the yeah, mech's yeah. mouth is moving, and whenever they, like, radio, um, like, the sort of view screen that pops up isn't of the girl's face, it's of the the Franks's face. Uh, but, and when the, but it's the dude, the, the stamen, who is ostensibly doing the actual piloting. So he's connected to her, and she's connected directly to the Franks. It kind of reminds me of Pacific Rim, in a way. In the that's sense, what I thought too. Right, in that so there's a mental connection going on that's allowing them to control these mechs, but that the the mental and I guess maybe to a degree physical effort of the connection isn't sustainable by a single person. Now in in Pacific Rim, that's overcome by connecting two people who are locked in mental and physical sync and essentially become one person, doubling their mental calculating capacity, however it is that was explained in the movie, um, making that connection bearable. Um, and it's a similar idea, as far as I can tell, in Darling in the Franks, but instead of taking two people and connecting them into one person, basically what you've got is you've got a, a shared set of roles. Or, like I said, the girl basically becomes like the central control system, the one who's physically connected to the Franks and interprets the moves of the mech that, so that the, the stamen, the boy, the, the male part of the, of the parasite is able to, to sort of give 
command controls to the girl, who is then able to interpret them through the system to the Franks. It's it's a really interesting setup that I just find fascinating and is also sort of like traditionally trigger in the sense that it is overloaded in sexual metaphor. Right. And and just in general complex. Yes. Um, you know, Trigger has never been one to shy away from fan service or sexual innuendo or metaphor, and and this is no exception, um, which is particularly interesting because the children themselves be, seem to be completely ignorant of all things sexual. Well, except for except for wh- whatever the what's the main character's name? Hero. No, 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 the female. Oh, um, zero two. Zero two. She doesn't seem to be ignorant of it. Well, I, I'm not even sure I would go that far. Um, she does seem to be more learned, I guess, in a sense than than the others. But it doesn't seem to me like she thinks of a kiss as being something sexual, just something special, which is not necessarily the same thing. Hmm. Maybe, but even today, um. In the or last night in last night's episode, she when the when Hero said that she should pilot it with the other other dude, she kind of like are you you want me to pilot it with someone else? You know, I don't know. I don't think she's I think she's she's got the idea. Mm -hmm. I think she's the only one that gets the idea. Although maybe no, maybe they all have it kind of subconsciously. Right, and we also in this most recent episode got to see a little bit more about. Uh, about sort of what's going on in these kids' past. Um, and sort of so far, the more we learn about it, the more fucked up it is. I mean, it right. seems like, like basically these kids were ripped from their parents' arms, put into some kind of camp. camp. I think they called it the birdcage or the gardener. Or the the garden. birdcage. The gar- garden and bird. No, the birdcage is where they are now. Yeah, the birdcage is where they are now. So the garden is where they were previously. And they're... They're stripped of their names, assuming they ever even had names to begin with. That's not really clear. And no, just, they gave themselves names. Yeah, and they're just given a numerical designation, which uh, it's referenced several times that um, that there there are three characters with double-digit codes. Um, Goro and Ichigo, who pilot... Um, the lead Franks, I forget the name of that, the actual Franks. Yeah, I don't know. Um, and then Hero, and they're all double digits. I think Goro is like 053, Ichigo is 015, and Hero is 016. And they, there's several references to that being a big deal. Like I think, Right. Uh, they mentioned a, that like the, even the double for... Digit yeah, and they say in the latest episode, you know, Hero was powerful even for a double digit. So that suggests that they are they are considerably apt with their abilities, right. even though so Hero is clearly not. So their codes aren't even necessarily individual monikers. They're ratings of potential more than anything else. That's what it seems like, yeah. Um, so at least the way the system is set up, it would seem presumable that more than one parasite could have the same code if they're rated on the same basis um so even those codes are not really um identity you know uh, marks of identity they're just marks of proficiency or potential proficiency at least yeah um and of course it also explains why they make a such such a big deal about um zero two being 
a single digit. Let's say I didn't even think zero digits were possible. Or single digits, not zero digits. Right, right. Um, and so, so I have a working theory um, on on what's going on with Hero. Um, and it's it's based on sort of my analogy earlier of of electricity, of sort of negative blowing through the positive. Um, when you when you actually look at electrical circuits, when you put a load on a circuit or you, you pull a load from a circuit, like you're trying to power something, it doesn't matter how much power the circuit itself is capable of transmitting sustainably. Like if you're trying to pull a thousand watts through a, ca- a cable that can only handle 50 watts, well, you're still going to pull a thousand watts through that cable, but you're going to fry the cable. There's going to be so much heat that the cable will literally melt. And I, I almost wonder if that's basically what's happening with zero two she's got so much power yeah she's she's, she's got she's such a uh, a wide gauge cable if you will that she is able to pull so much power through the system that that's why no one can survive more than three trips with her because yeah you know like i said the the positive the negative end of that system the the male will still supply the necessary power but he can't do it indefinitely because he's not a big enough gauge wire. Does that make sense? Yeah, um, and that explains why you know the the what whatever his name was um, the uh, guy Mitsuru, who I think yeah Mitsuru uh, was able to pilot her, and when she was kind of being chill, he was able to handle it, even though he was clearly having trouble. Um, and when she said that she was going to go, you know, let loose a little bit, he was he was knocked out and potentially seriously injured. Yeah, um, and so that's that's sort of the difference of her pulling fifty watts and pull and then and then going and say okay well if you're gonna if you're gonna say you can you can you can handle me I'm gonna I'm gonna pull my full load and I'm gonna pull a thousand watts and I'm gonna literally burn you out. Um, and so I think that also I think uh, explains why Hero is still at the plantation and wasn't sent away like his original partner was. Because if you if you pay attention to that first episode, his original partner was a triple digit, like seven zero three or something, which I actually think was the um, the highest number within their group. So I, I I don't think the problem is on Hero's end. The problem is that he needs a is um. He needs a partner that, in essence, can pull enough load from him for the cyst for the connection to function. If that makes sense. So you're saying that she, the the girl who was sent away, did not have enough power. Essentially, because um, she was such a high number that she she didn't have the ability to form a a a, a sustainable connection with Hero. Um, at least not for any length of time, which probably explains why he was able to pilot for a short period of time with Ichigo, because they're down. only they're they're only one apart. Now Ichigo actually has a lower number than than Hiro. She's one zero. She's zero one five instead of zero one six. But again, the reference seems to be that that even for that zero one six rating, Hiro is particularly powerful. Um, so I think that's why they send Naomi seven zero three away because, like, hey, listen, you're not even worth keeping around. Um, but Hero still has the potential to be hooked up with a different partner. But that's why he's allowed to stay. 
Um, and perhaps that's that... why uh, Zero Two is so obsessed with him because she has seen that he's got that enormous power that she can use and channel. Exactly. Um, you know, she's he's probably at least up to this point the only character introduced in the universe that can handle her power draw. If we're going to continue using this metaphor. Um, so oh, I think I that think is exactly right. why Zero Two is so obsessed with him. Um, Hopefully in the next uh, episode he'll actually be able to pilot with her again. That would be nice. It would be interesting to actually see, because um, obviously in the first episode he does pilot with her to some degree, apparently. Right. He just um, can't remember anything about it. He just it. doesn't remember it. Um, so it would be nice to, to see that happen again for him to be conscious enough for the audience to see what's going on. That, that, that would be very interesting to me. Um, and there also seems to be another dynamic going on where there's sort of these references, especially from Mitsuru in the most recent episode, that like Hiro was supposed to be the leader of their group. Their... Right. I noticed that. Um, and that he kind of, his performance when actually getting into it, even if it it's now seeming like it wasn't his fault, um, disappointed all of them, and they really kind of, he became ostracized. Yeah, very much so. Um, and, and like we said, we don't, we may be assuming at this point that it's not his fault, but they don't know that, maybe, or don't understand what's really going on, because Hero certainly doesn't seem to understand what's going on. Yeah. Hmm. And so there, there really seems to be this dynamic that... Uh, and, and, and so, and so, th this is the way I'm taking it right now. Is hero like a big part of hero's seeming depression within the 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 narrative is that he was functionally raised from birth to be a parasite. That the only reason he, I mean, he says it. The only reason we exist is to pilot Franks, and he's not able to do it, or hasn't been allowed to, or something's gone wrong. Right? right, so he's got he's like missing his purpose in life. Exactly, and I think part of what's going on with the especially the two boys, Mitsuru and the real annoying asshole kid, um, why they're so antagonistic towards Hiro is I think because they're actually scared because they look at here and says he's he was supposed to be the most powerful among us, and he's failed. He's been denied his purpose, our purpose in life. And I think in a way they're desperate to prove that they're superior to him because that's the only way they can know that they're not going to fail. Does that make sense? Yeah, I guess uh, I guess that does make sense. Because um, they are just particularly nasty to him and it doesn't seem like there's much of a reason why. And the two other characters that are up near his his number, they're a lot kinder and, um, you know, intent on believing in him than the rest of them are. Yeah, both both Goro and Ichigo seem pretty cool with Hiro. It's it's the higher numbers, um, like Mitsuru and, and again, I can't forget the other guy's name, but I, I hate his guts. Um, they're the ones that really they're seem to have a problem. None of the girls really seem to have a problem particularly with Hiro. It's only those two boys that seem to be having an issue. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, of course, we didn't really see an issue that Mitsuru... We didn't really see that Mitsuru had an issue with Hiro up until this most recent episode, so it could be that there are still lingering issues that will be revealed over the course of the of the story. Yeah. It's looking to be a pretty interesting series. As is the case, usually, with Trigger series, mm -hmm. so... 
So, I mean, is there anything you, you want to add or, or sort of... Uh, um, I wanted to that? talk about real quick the scene where Zero Two brought Hero out into the city. Mm, um, yes. And that was kind of the first moment. I like, it was clear, it was clear before to me that they were contained. Like, they, they're kind of controlled in every way. Um, but it really, when he said that they've never been able to see the city, um, they're really kind of machines to these people. They're, they're tools as opposed to any kind of personality, any kind of personage in there. Um, they're really viewed as, as, and it looks like they're viewed as fodder. Yeah, as I mean, fodder. Um, especially when you consider there's, there's a little throwaway line, um, from zero two where she says, do you want this, uh, plantation's entire frocks team to be eliminated again? As if it's happened before. As if it's happened before. Um, yeah, so I'm looking forward I, to the next episode. Yeah, so I mean, I think you're absolutely on um, on track with that, and I had been meaning to talk about that that scene as well. But yeah, I mean these these kids are not people to this society. This, yeah. Um, so, like I said, the the more we learn about the situation, the more fucked up, the more screwed up it really seems to be. Yeah, I got. I gotta wonder what zero two means when she says, "Do you want me to get you out of here?" Mm-hmm. The hero. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's... Cause, I mean, that could mean a couple of different things. Because zero two clearly gets rotated around, so it could could be a simple, "Hey, hook up with me, and we'll leave the plantation. We'll go to other places." Or it could be, or it could mean, "Hey, we're we're just gonna leave this society behind." I mean, there's a whole there's a whole number of things that could mean. Yeah whole number of things and usually with trigger series there is a lot of underlying themes and and ideas going on with everything they do well that's what makes them great all right so i'm not sure if there's much else yeah i feel like i've i've said my piece so um i suppose that is episode two of weeb speak um hopefully the audio is a lot better this time we're using a different recording method um so hopefully um things that sound a bit better to you guys in your ear holes yeah if you're listening thanks for listening um and hopefully we'll see you next time yeah um i get the feeling this is probably going to be a reasonably consistent weekly thing at least for the near future so uh you know if you guys want to throw us around tell your friends let people know that there are these two idiots on the internet talking about anime um you know tell them to listen in watch them watch us make idiots of ourselves indeed all right thanks for listening yep you guys have a uh, a good night